Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Hello once again, I'm Josh Raymond, so glad to have you joining us for this hour of The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio. So I've got good news and I've got bad news. Which one do you want to hear first? I'm sure you've heard someone say that to you at least once in your life. And there's probably a good chance that you've said something along those lines to someone else. So which one do you choose to hear first when somebody says that? I've got good news and I've got bad news. Do you go for the good news first? Or do you want to get the bad news out of the way before hearing the good news? Having to deliver that bad news, that's stressful. It's never enjoyable, is it? At times when I've had to tell someone bad news, I found myself kind of dancing around the issue, trying to figure out the right way to say it, or maybe even trying to postpone the inevitable. Sometimes I've tried to deliver bad news with some sort of silver lining. Yeah, the the news is bad, but... On the bright side, here's this little ray of hope. Sometimes, though, the bad news doesn't seem to have that silver lining associated with it. And then it just oftentimes is better to say exactly what it is. No beating around the bush, no softening of the details. Just spit out that bad news. Now, good news, on the other hand, it's always easy to tell someone good news. My wife, Belen, when she has some tidbit of good news, she can barely contain herself from bursting out with it immediately. But Baylan, she's she's an optimist uh, always. She, I, I, I can think of very few times where she's ever approached anything in her life without having an upbeat, optimistic, hopeful kind of attitude in whatever she's dealing with. She's that glasses-half-full kind of person. I, I'm not necessarily a pessimist, but I'm not the kind of optimist that she is. I, I, I always, she, she says, oh, you can be so pessimistic. I say, no, I'm not pessimistic. I'm just realistic. <laughs> and she just shakes her head at that. But when I have good news to deliver to someone... I'm almost all, always the opposite of Balan. She wants to share it immediately. Like I said, I, on the other hand, I'll kind of drag out the way that I present good news to someone. I might even give the impression that I have something to share that might not be good at all. I, I won't directly say that, but I might make it sound like there's something serious. I might say something like, hey, when you have a moment, there's something we should talk about. And it gets kind of that common response of maybe a little bit of nervousness, a little bit of fear, a little bit of trepidation. But I like practical jokes. I think it's that side of me. That's why I commonly take that approach to delivering good news to someone. And when I finally do get around to telling them the good news, whatever that message is, it's almost always the same sort of reaction. They started listening to me. There was that uncertainty in their expression, maybe some concern that their eyes were communicating. 
and they didn't know if I was going to drop some sort of bombshell on them or what was coming. But when they hear the real news, when they realize that what I'm telling them is something that they definitely welcome, their face ends up showing that, their eyebrows, you know, maybe they were furrowed. They end up relaxing. If their lips were straight, tense, you know, maybe even a slight downturn of the mouth as they're listening initially, that, that will change too. Maybe a slight upturn of the corners of the mouth. And it doesn't matter if I'm talking to one of my kids, I'm talking to a coworker, a longtime friend. That reaction, it's almost always the same. You can see that relief, that happiness that comes across their face. And, you know, just thinking about it right now as I'm telling you about it, it makes me smile. But what about receiving good news? What's the best good news that you've ever received in your life? Is it when you heard that you got your dream job? Is it that you were going to be a new parent, have a baby? You were going to be a mom or a dad? Maybe as a parent, was it hearing that your child came back safely from serving overseas in the military? Or maybe it was finding out that a medical test came back negative and all the worry, all the dread that was going on in your life for you know the last however many hours or days as you're waiting for those results. It was all for nothing, the relief there. I know I've received plenty of bad news in my life, but I've received so much good news too. In fact, in my asking you that question, what's the best good news you've ever received? I don't know if I could isolate one moment or one event where that piece of good news was the absolute best over anything else. God has been so good to me and blessed me in so many ways. I hope that that's a similar experience for you. But today... We celebrate the feast of a woman who delivered some of the greatest good news of all. I think maybe the only other person you might be able to argue that delivered equal or maybe even slightly better news was the Archangel Gabriel when he announced to Mary that she would be the mother of the Savior of the world. But that's the Annunciation. Today, it's the feast of Mary Magdalene. And she said five words. She communicated with five words amazingly good news, fantastic news to the apostles and then by extension to all of us. In those five words, I have seen the Lord, were such good news that the apostles didn't actually believe her at first. Peter and John, they raced out to the tomb to see if it was actually true, if Jesus really had come back to life. So today on The Inner Life, we want to look at what we can learn from the life of Mary Magdalene. What does her life her love and her devotion to Jesus. What does that mean for us today? And how can she help us grow closer to Christ? And joining us to help us look at the life of Mary Magdalene and how we can apply some of those lessons that we learn from her into our own lives. Father Joseph Johnson is our spiritual director for the hour. He's a priest in the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis, and he's the pastor of Holy Family Catholic Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Father, it's so glad uh, I'm, I'm so glad to have you back here on the program today. So is there one piece of good news that you could isolate in your life and say that was the best news I have ever, ever received? You know, it's, it's hard to try and say what was the best, uh, but I, I think you're right that, that uh, if we look at that universally, uh, the Archangel Gabriel and, and St. Mary Magdalene certainly have the, the two uh, that, that are at the very top, but... For each one of us, I think we get these these little bits of news uh, at a particular time, and and often in our our spiritual life and our growth, there's some moment where we just sense that God loves us, 
And I think that's one of the best pieces of news we receive is just to receive that con- that consolation, that awareness of God's loving presence that, that, that no matter what's going on in our lives, God loves me. And there's just such a, a release that comes from, from letting ourselves be immersed in that good news, which yeah. is a good news that flows from the Archangel Gabriel's good news and, of course, from St. Mary Magdalene's good news. Well, and it kind of reminds me as you're saying that of the song Amazing Grace, um, you know, that I, I remember hearing of the story of the man who composed that, John Newton, and how he had originally been, uh, this is what I heard, I, I haven't looked this up, I haven't, you know, ma- done any research on this, but this was just a story I remember hearing years ago that he was actually uh, someone who was a slave driver and ended up coming to Christ, ended up realizing, having that realization, like you say, of God's love, the grace, the forgiveness that's offered us in uh, the the sacrifice of Jesus. And it transformed his life, and he wrote one of the most popular hymns that we have, uh, both in the Catholic Church as well as Protestant churches. And it's always that second verse, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." and grace my fears relieved, um, that, that really just spoke to me as I really looked at those lyrics. You know, I, I, was, I was afraid when I realized what I didn't have without that grace that God offers us, but it's the grace that relieved all of those fears anyway. Um, so it, today as we're talking about Mary Magdalene, um, you know, being able to hear that good news, and that's what, that's what we even use the word gospel. Gospel means good news when we talk about it, Father. Yes, and, and actually, as you were talking about this amazing grace, I, I don't remember the particulars of its origin either, but, uh, but you can see right there that, that as you started with this, you want the bad news or the good news first, there's a connection, right? And, and in that song, you know, the, the, that taught me to fear that the grace that was there was the grace to see ourselves as a sinner. And, and, and so, because frankly, Josh, the problem that a lot of people have with yawning in the face of the greatest good news that Jesus has come to save us, the the modern world is bored and uninterested because we don't consider that we need saving. If if we don't know, if we're not convicted by that grace that I'm a sinner and I need to be forgiven, then I'm totally uninterested and bored when someone says, "Oh, by the way, uh, you're forgiven." What? You know, <laughs> what's that all about? I can't rejoice because I didn't know that I needed to be forgiven. I didn't know that I labored under a death sentence. You know, and now I've been pardoned and I have life, new life, beautiful life, a life of grace, freed from sin. But if I don't know that I'm trapped by sin, I'm enslaved by sin. Now, the, the, with that particular song, I just there's one theological uh, kind of anthropological thing. We don't like the use of the word wretch. What a wretch I am! Oh, because right, right. that's more that Protestant sense of, of the human being is utterly depraved. We're wounded by sin, but we're not utterly depraved. But but the, again, you see that connection between the good news and the bad news. Uh, I think our preaching uh, of the good news has to have that context of a, of a recognition that we need saving. And, and that's, that's where perhaps we're running into some, some headwinds in the society around us. Well, and we can see that in the life of Mary Magdalene. 
you know, she becomes so devoted to Jesus after he ends up having that impact in her life. But maybe before we dive into too much of that and, you know, some of those those broader uh, kind of lessons that we can take away from her life, let's talk about what we actually know historically about Mary Magdalene. There's some confusion out there about who she was. Some of those accounts of other women in Scripture can be mixed up with Mary Magdalene. Um, and there's so many other Marys that we read about in Scripture, especially in the Gospels. We've got Mary, the mother of Jesus. We've got Mary Magdalene. There's Mary, the mother of James, that is referenced. Then there's the other Mary that is referenced there as well. And then we also have Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, who is in Bethany. So there's a lot of Marys that are there on the scene. What do we know about Mary Magdalene herself? (laughs) <laughs> you've just put up the fine point on it, right? The, uh, there is confusion there. Now, just this year, talk about uh, the unfolding of, of the Church's understanding. Just earlier this year, in February, the Vatican issued a decree, uh, about not about today's feast, but about a week from today's feast. On the 29th of July, the, the Roman calendar, uh, our liturgical calendar, had always the Feast of St. Martha. But what the, the Vatican decreed was that this feast is now expanded to be the, the memorial of Saints Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So there's the family of Bethany together being celebrated next week on the 29th. Because that's the answer to the question, is Mary of Bethany, the sister of Lazarus and Martha, the same as Mary of Magdalene. And the answer the church has has just given is no. They are two distinct Marys. We also get that from the the name Mary Magdalene. Magdala is a place. Now, long before there was the custom of having last names, people were identified by their parents, by their trade, or uh, where they're from. And, And that was the name them across many cultures uh, until there was a kind of this standardization of, of kind of surnames. And many surnames still preserve that, right? Uh, someone by the last name of Carpenter, well, that was their trade. You know, uh, someone named Johnson, like me, well, somewhere back there, there was uh, a son of John, right? Uh, and same thing for a place. And so Mary Magdalene means Mary of Magdala. And Magdala is a place in Galilee, on the, on the Sea of Galilee. And actually, there's exciting archaeological uh, research being done in that area now, and they've uncovered the synagogue of Magdala, a place that we are sure uh, that Jesus would have, would have uh, visited. And, and you can visit the, the traces of it there right near the, the shore of the Sea of Galilee. But if Mary is from Magdala, then she's not from Bethany. Uh, and therefore, she's not the sister of Lazarus and of, of, of Martha. So that's the, the important thing to get clear first. There are other kind of things where there are stories in the Bible where we see there's uh, a woman, a sinful woman that anoints uh, Jesus' feet. Who is that? You know, that's sometimes you know uh, thought to be uh, Mary Magdalene. But the scriptures themselves are are very sketchy in what they tell us about Mary Magdalene, that from her was cast out uh, seven demons, 
right? So that's, that's what we know. She experienced healing from the Lord. Not necessarily that she was a great sinner who was forgiven, but that she experienced great healing by being delivered uh, from these uh, seven demons. And that's, that's where her joy and her uh, love for the Lord comes out of that gratitude of that. That's the beginning of, of the good news that she experienced. Well, one of the things that also, you know, you're, you're referencing where she had seven demons that were driven out of her, and this is in Luke's gospel where I'm looking, and it also has some other women that are mentioned there too, but it's interesting that it makes this comment that all these women who are going along with Jesus and the other apostles, the disciples, it says that the women provided for them Jesus and the disciples out of their means. So it also, it seems to imply that Mary Magdalene might have been somewhat well off. Right, yes, because certainly uh, some of the women that she's associated with there, one of them is the wife of Herod Steward. Right. So that's not an unimportant person. Uh, and and it's interesting because it's that passage in Luke, uh, the Luke chapter 8, starts with, uh, these women have something in common uh, at the beginning and the end of the passage. In the beginning, that they have been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. And at the end of the passage, they are now providing for Jesus and his uh, disciples out of their means. So they have both. They have something they have received from Jesus, and they have something that they're giving to Jesus. And I think it's important for us because sometimes you and I focus on, oh, Jesus wants this, God is asking this of me, the church wants that. And we don't realize that actually we first, we first need to realize how much we've been given. And then it's out of gratitude for what we've received that then we can be generous and not begrudging in what we give. That word gratitude, I think, is so important. And that's one of the things that really came to my mind as I was looking at Mary Magdalene. You know, she had been healed by Jesus, and she ends up devoting her life to following him, uh, following him all the, all the way to being there at the foot of the cross, and then, of course, uh, being there on that Easter Sunday morning. But it also reminds me of the ten lepers that Jesus ends up healing. But only one of them came back to say thank you. And Jesus says, didn't I heal ten of you? Where are the other nine? Makes me wonder how many others Jesus healed but never came back to thank him, to have that gratitude, to follow him. How many other Mary Magdalene's there were out there? But for whatever reason, she was the one who said that not only am I grateful that I'm healed, but I'm going to give back. I'm going to... Uh, do exactly what you were talking about, Father. Um, you know, God wants me to do this. Well, he also has given me so much. I, I can't help but want to give back. And Jesus sometimes tells them, people that do want to, I'm going to leave everything and come and follow you. No, you go and do that. He gives them a different mission rather than, than following him directly. He, they're going to be his disciple somewhere else, but they're still going to be his disciple. So it's not that everyone else was was ungrateful always. Although you look at John chapter six, they the the mass of people who had eaten the bread and the the, the fish that had been multiplied, and then they choke not not on the miracle, they choke on the teaching about the Eucharist. I I am the bread of life, and many follow him no more. 
that's ingratitude. They've received, their, their stomachs are full of, of what Jesus gave them, and yet there's ingratitude. And it's not just the nine other lepers that didn't come back to say thank you. Josh, I, I want to accuse myself first. You know, I am sure that I don't even notice, let alone uh, make, make acts of thanksgiving, for 90% of the blessings God has given me. You know, every single day, uh, the Lord blesses us. It, the day itself is a blessing. When I was in seminary, I decided to do a different kind of devotion. The first thing in the morning, when I wake up, uh, I kneel down by the side of the bed, and I couldn't do, for some reason, the normal kind of traditional morning offering. It's a beautiful prayer, but I just felt something was missing, so I composed my, my own, and it starts out with this. It says, Thank you, Lord, for the gift of this day. Now let me offer the day back to you. But I realized it didn't make sense to me to offer the day to the Lord until I had first praised him for having offered the day to me. Mm. I would have nothing to offer him if he hadn't first offered it to me. But gratitude has got to be there. And of course, that's why the very word Eucharist means Thanksgiving. The whole of Christian spirituality has to be suffused with this gratitude. And I think we see that in Mary Magdalene, that she had such a sense of gratitude that she wanted to, to follow Jesus, as you said, even to the foot of the cross when others were ashamed or scared to be there. Our spiritual director today is Father Joseph Johnson here on The Inner Life, and we're talking about Mary Magdalene, looking at her life, the different lessons that we can gain from her and how she lived out her faith. And uh, maybe you have experienced that same healing, that forgiveness, and you have that gratitude. How has Mary Magdalene been an inspiration in your life? How have you had that encounter with Christ that has transformed you? We'd love to hear your story. 888-914-9149 is our studio line. 888-914-9149 and our email address, innerlifeatrelevantradio.com. We'll continue talking about Mary Magdalene and looking at how she can inspire us to draw closer to Christ right after this here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that Andrea Bocelli there with Amazing Grace, and uh, welcome back to The Inner Life. I'm Josh Raymond, along with our spiritual director, Father Joseph Johnson, talking today about the life of Mary Magdalene and that amazing grace that is offered to each of us through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ through his death and uh, the hope of being able to spend eternity in heaven there because of his resurrection. And how has Mary Magdalene been that inspiration for you? Do you have a devotion to Mary Magdalene? Why? 
why. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can call into our studio at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And also want to remind you, uh, maybe you've heard us talking about the book that we are offering for free. It's called Treasures of the Rosary, Reflections by Those Who Pray It Daily. And again, this book is absolutely free for anybody who registers at our website, relevantradio.com, or on the Relevant Radio app. Uh, there are reflections on the rosary, meditations by St. John Paul II, by St. Jose Maria Escriva, and our own executive director here at Relevant Radio, Father Rocky, he has uh, portions that he's contributed there too. So whether you're brand new to the rosary, you've been praying it every day for years, you will gain something from this book, I promise. Again, absolutely free. doesn't cost you anything, not even shipping, charges, no postage, nothing like that, but it's only available for a limited time. Treasures of the Rosary. So all you have to do is go to relevantradio.com slash treasures, and you'll find it there. There's also a banner on our website at relevantradio.com, and you can find it on the Relevant Radio app as well. Father uh, Joseph, as we continue talking about Mary Magdalene, um, one of the things that gets thrown out there sometimes is that maybe there was more than just this uh, platonic relationship between Mary Magdalene and Jesus. There's a lot of myths out there about this. You know, in the musical Jesus Christ Superstar, uh, Mary Magdalene has that famous song, I Don't Know How to Love Him. And she's kind of wrestling with this in that one. Uh, in the book, uh, The Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown. He has this idea that Mary Magdalene was married to Jesus. So let's just kind of set the record straight here that there's no historical evidence for this claim that Mary Magdalene was the wife of Jesus. Uh, correct. Let, let's just let it, let it be corrected that way. Let's set it straight. There is zero historical evidence for this. And of course, what the conspiracy theorists say is, well, that's just part of the big cover-up. Right. Well, there is no evidence that there's a cover-up. Uh, you know, uh, you know, it's just, you know, people's curiosity, I think, are at the heart of this. You know, because the Gospels don't give us every detail. In fact, the Gospel of John, at its end, says, if we wrote down everything, all the books in the world wouldn't contain it. Right. There's a lot that's not included in what has come down to us. And human curiosity keeps pushing us. Well, what about this? What about that? So throughout the history of the church, there have been uh, both legitimate visionaries and, and some others not maybe as legitimate that have visions filling in the gaps, telling us the details of what was going on in particular stories you know, in, in the Gospels. We have ancient books that are also called Gospels, but which are not included in the Christian Bible and are not considered the divinely inspired Word of God, which is what would give them the criteria for, for being uh, part of the Bible. And these, some of these things are just making up stories about filling in gaps. So Mary Magdalene, as, uh, as the lover, wife you know, of Jesus, is, is not does not have any zero historical credibility whatsoever, nor is there any historical evidence that there was a cover-up, that it really happened, and we've been trying to bury it and hide it. And if you go even to your local bookstore and you pick up the Da Vinci Code, which I don't suggest, but if you do, or at least go look where it is, it's in the fiction section. <laughs> it's not in the right. history section. Even the secularists will tell you it's Fiction. 
And I can't tell you how many people think that that this is true and that there's some albino murderous monk and you know all, all this stuff that they watched a movie they read a book and they can't sort out uh, a story from history his story the truth the gospel truth as we used to say right, right. and so no mary magdalene was not the lover or wife of jesus so what do we have then uh, after the resurrection of Jesus? We really don't have much else about Mary Magdalene. Is there some tradition in the church that says what happened to her, where she went, you know, in, anything after the resurrection? Yes, actually, there, there are some traces for, for not only Mary Magdalene, uh, but also for the apostles. Like we have, we have traditions that, that Thomas went to uh, evangelize India, you know, and, and things like this. There are things that, that we can say, we, we can say with some sense of historicity, we can't prove it, right? But we can say there are, there's ancient testimony to certain things, even if we don't have hard evidence. But the, the story about uh, Mary Magdalene and certain others uh, including the family of Bethany, right, which is again where some of this confusion might come through, is that uh, we know from the scriptures that the high priests and all wanted to kill Lazarus as well as Jesus, because Lazarus was living proof that Jesus had power, that he was more than human, right? So the, the tradition says that uh, the family of Bethany, uh, Mary Magdalene as well, were, were uh, exiled from the Holy Land and arrived in the south of France. And to this day, there is a shrine in the south of France that purports to have the tomb of Mary Magdalene in a beautiful basilica and up on the hillside, a cave where she lived as a hermit in contemplation. So that is the, the tradition of the church. Again, it's not something we would say is, is scientifically verifiable. It's not something we'd say is divinely inspired word of God. But that is what uh, the, the tradition is, tradition of the small t, not the, the capital tradition. Very good. Uh, Father Joseph Johnson is our spiritual director today here on The Inner Life as we're talking about the life of Mary Magdalene and especially the lessons that we can learn from her life here on this feast of St. Mary Magdalene. And Father, you know, one of the big things, of course, is the fact that Jesus allows Mary Magdalene, he's the first one that that he appears to when he is resurrected. And this is before any of the apostles. It's before even his own mother. Um, you know, people who would have been really, really distraught over the death of Jesus. But Mary Magdalene is that first one that he appears to. What, what's the significance in this, do you think? Well, uh, just one small, tiny clarifying thing. She is the first one that he appears to as Scripture records it. Sure, there sure. There is a local tradition in the Holy Land that you find actually uh, enshrined in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, that that he that Jesus had appeared to his mother first. So there is there is that local tradition. Again, it's not scriptural; it's a pious tradition. Uh, we can evaluate one way there, but just that's a footnote. That 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 there is a tradition about Our Lady having seen her risen Son first. But Mary Magdalene is clearly the first one Scripture mentions, and clearly it's to her and not to Our Lady that has entrusted the mission to tell everybody else 
All right. So uh, I don't want to diminish from that other tradition the importance of Mary Magdalene. Right. The, the, the title that's sometimes given to her is the Apostle to the Apostles. Now, the word apostle means one who is sent forth. All right? So sent forth to testify. That's what Jesus chose the 12 apostles, and he sent them out two by two to be his messengers. Well, he chooses Mary Magdalene to be the messenger to the messengers, the apostle to the apostles. Uh, and and that's, that's the importance. She gives that first testimony. It's real. Everything he said is real. Now, Mary Magdalene sometimes gets a little poo-pooed because... In the encounter with the risen Lord Jesus, she, she does a couple of things. First, she mistakes him for the gardener, right? Um, which is kind of a funny little aside. In, in the midst of this drama and tragedy and triumph, you find this funny little uh, comic thing where she thinks he's the gardener. Uh, but the other thing that happens in that episode is Jesus says, don't cling to me. Well, you know, there's something beautiful about Mary Magdalene clinging to the Lord, that that she clung to him through his public ministry because of her gratitude that we'd spoken about. She clung to him at the foot of the cross when others, including all of the apostles, John came back, but let's be clear, he left first. He ran away with everybody else. He came back before the others. But she clung to Jesus even when, when the others didn't. And then she clings to him. She's going the day after the Sabbath to the tomb, right? So she's still clinging to him, even though she saw him with her own eyes die, she can't let go of him. And so she's going there to anoint his, his body. And she doesn't even know how are they going to get that big stone rolled away from the tomb. The practicality of it hasn't even you know been dealt with, but she just had to be there. She had to stay close to him. And, and that's the beauty of Mary Magdalene, is her persevering faith. Uh, that, that desire to be united to the Lord, no, no matter what, you know, all of us can learn from. One thing that I, I guess I want to go back to for a moment here is, you point out she doesn't recognize him, mistakes him for the gardener. But we have a couple other moments there where something, not exactly, but, you know, there's this uh, common theme where people don't recognize Jesus. People who had known Jesus, the, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they don't recognize him initially. Uh, even Peter, when they're out fishing, doesn't recognize Jesus on the shore until Jesus says the same thing that he said to Peter on their very first encounter, cast your nets out on the other side of the boat. So there's this kind of common theme that people aren't recognizing Jesus. Um, that's just kind of a curiosity there. But the other thing that I guess I'm thinking here too is Mary going out before anybody else, like you say, has to go out early in the morning before the sun is even up. None of the apostles are going to the tomb. She's going out there, has to, has to be with Jesus, has to cling to him, like you said. And this seems like a, a message that we could take away from this is that when you truly do seek after Christ, he won't disappoint you. Even if you don't realize it's him at first, even if you don't recognize him, he'll make himself known to you. Yes, and I think this little comic thing about not recognizing him 
you know, and again, as you point out, all the others that didn't recognize him either, it speaks, there's a deep theological truth to it uh, that, that we, we want to bring out about the, the status of the risen body, all right? Because our Lord is, it, is, is very clear that he's not a ghost, right? It's not just Jesus' spirit that is manifested. He, is, he is, is manifested physically as well, but in a glorified body, a glorified body. And so there's something about the glory of, of the risen Lord Jesus, but also, Josh, you and I on the last day will have glorified bodies. You know, we, we believe and we profess it in the creed, the resurrection of the body not just that our souls are going to float up to heaven, but that body that we put into the earth, that we weep over our loved ones in their caskets and we bury them. And the reason why we don't take cremated remains of our loved ones and scatter them or awful things like that or, or whatever, is we believe in the dignity of that body. And no, it won't look like that. It will undergo earthly decomposition unless miraculously preserved from that. But, but on the last day, body and soul will be back together and the body will be glorified. C.S. Lewis used to say, if we could see each other as we really are, we'd be tempted to fall down and worship each other. There's something of the glory of God that comes from us being made in his image and likeness that you and I don't normally see on a day-to-day basis. But here in the resurrection, Jesus' glorified body is such that it, it makes it a little bit more difficult to recognize him. And so Mary Magdalene, when does she recognize him? When he calls her by name. Mm-hmm. And now, that's how Jesus did with all of the apostles, right? He called them by name. He called them. And that's, that's how he chose them and gave them their mission. That's how he now calls Mary and gives her her mission to be the apostle to the apostles. I think you and I, we have a lot of head knowledge, a lot of, of theoretical, abstract understanding about our faith. But I think we only recognize Jesus in that personal encounter where we, we finally understand he's speaking to me. He knows me and he speaks to me. Now I recognize him. And I think that's the beauty of this, this thing that starts out as this funny uh, mistaking him for the gardener. That's so beautiful. I'm just thinking of, you know, the immensity, the grandiose universe that we live in and how many billions of people have existed before and will after <laughs> I, I am, you know, gone, uh, unless Jesus decides to return uh, here and come again sometime very soon. But just the fact that knowing each one of us by name, calling us by name to be a part of his family, to be uh, adopted sons and daughters of his father. Um, it's it's just such a beautiful, beautiful thought that each one of us are known by name, regardless of how small or insignificant we might feel at different times. Our spiritual director today here on The Inner Life is Father Joseph Johnson, and we're talking about the life of St. Mary Magdalene and those lessons that we can learn from her life how we can apply those in our own life so that we can grow closer to Christ. When has Christ called you by name, just like Mary? 
How have you experienced that love, that grace, that forgiveness? Has Mary Magdalene been an inspiration to you in your life, allowing you to grow closer to Christ? Our studio line is open right now for your call at 888-914-9149, And uh, we'll be back with more on the life of Mary Magdalene right after this here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Call in now to share your story with our Inner Life Spiritual Directors. 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome back to The Inner Life. I'm Josh Raymond, along with our spiritual director, Father Joseph Johnson, a priest in the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis, the pastor of Holy Family Catholic Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota, talking today about the life of St. Mary Magdalene and uh, the lessons we can learn from her. And Father, right before the break, we were talking about Jesus calls Mary by name. And that's something we all... uh, it's, it, I don't want to get too much into kind of a Protestant theology. That's, uh, you know, we can get into that realm where it's just Jesus and me, you know, my personal Savior. Well, yes, Jesus does personally invite us. Uh, but what does the Catholic Church look at in regards to um, how Jesus calls us individually? Yet at the same time, we are part of the body of Christ. We are part of the church. It's not just this, I can be alone with Jesus, you know, out on the hills just as well as I can be with him at church. There's uh, something missing if we have that attitude towards our relationship with Christ. Yes, and, and even Mary Magdalene shows us that, that, that she had that personal encounter with Jesus, but then she's sent to the apostles, Right. Uh, and and that sense of of that belonging, uh, the sense of of that. And Saint Paul would speak about it in the mystical body, right? That the mystical party, body of Christ has different parts, right? But it's all part of the same body. And so we're not redundant. We look different. We have different missions, but we are all connected. And that's where you have to understand God, when He created us, didn't use a cookie cutter. He didn't just make a bunch. He, God didn't create humanity. God created Josh and Father Joseph and Nick, and God created Bill and Ted and Susie and and Mary and everybody else, but he created each one of us individually. He didn't create humanity. Uh, and, And God loves each one of us individually. From the cross, Jesus saw not just... Uh, his mother and St. John and, and Mary Magdalene. He didn't just see the Roman centurion and, and the other guards. He saw all of us who would ever live, and he saw all of the sins that we would ever commit, and he died to forgive everything. So he knows me through and through. He knows me better than I know myself. That's one of the graces God gives, is that we learn to know ourselves, both our dignity of who we are as children of God, also our, our, our sinfulness of how we fail to live according to that dignity. He gives us the grace to see that. Sometimes we're oblivious to the fact that I need to repent. Uh, but, but from all of that individuality comes this unity that I can be united to him, but to be united to him also means I'm united to everybody else who's united to him. I'm in that mystical body of Christ, and that's where 
you and I have to, to overcome that kind of Protestant individualism and understand the corporate reality of, of the church. Let, let's talk about one other aspect here of the importance of Mary Magdalene and what we see. First of all, I think it's important to point out that her being the one that goes out to the tomb and Jesus then she sees him first. She sees our resurrected Lord before anybody else. It's recorded in all four of the Gospels in Scripture. Um, but within our contemporary society, it's not uncommon to hear criticism of the church as being this patriarchal organization that oppresses women, keeps them you know, down. They're not allowed into leadership roles in the church. You know, and even as I'm saying this, it's not lost on me that... I, a man, am talking with a priest, another man in a position of authority within the church. But I think that it's crucial that we discuss how the church celebrates different women and holds them up in such high regard. You know, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is commonly referenced as the most perfect person to have ever lived, the crowning achievement of humanity, the creation of God, the triune God. And then with regards to Mary Magdalene, she's someone held in that same high regard, that high esteem within the church. In what ways do you think today's feast gives that kind of credibility to the church's insistence regarding the dignity of women, uh, their role within the church? Well, I, I think you've hit it spot on. When you first spoke about the two greatest pieces of news from the Archangel Gabriel uh, and and then of the resurrection, uh, both are given to women. Now, sometimes when I'm speaking to people who have this kind of prejudice against the church, that the church is somehow, you know, uh, looks down upon women, and you mention the Blessed Virgin Mary, you go, oh, well, you know, you've puffed her up so big uh, to make all the other women look bad because nobody else is like that. Well, okay, you know, that's not true, but, but Mary Magdalene comes as the answer to that objection, that Mary Magdalene was not sinless. Mary Magdalene was not quote unquote puffed up as this, you know, the as as some people would accuse us of doing to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Mary Magdalene isn't beyond reach. Mary Magdalene is a normal woman who had struggles. Uh and she had to be delivered from demons. So there she becomes the great witness to the resurrection. And in fact, the Dominican order, the Dominicans taught me in Rome, so I'm always grateful to them. Today's a special feast day for them because they call her the preacher to the preachers. You know, just like the apostle to the apostles, she's the preacher to the order of preachers. That it's through this woman that they receive the message, the good news, the resurrection, that they're then to go out and, and tell the whole world. So yes, I, I, I think we need to recognize the dignity of Mary Magdalene and her role uh, to help overcome the suspicion uh, and the and the 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 accusation that that the church is somehow against women or doesn't value their role in all of this, you know, another thing as you're talking there, you're talking about the struggles that she dealt with, you know, being healed, being delivered from the seven demons, as it's recorded in Scripture, and I think we also see then in Mary Magdalene this perfect example showing us that when we allow Jesus to heal us, to forgive us, to transform us, our past has no real bearing then on our future lived in Christ. It didn't matter that Mary had 
all of those struggles beforehand, had all of that baggage that she was carrying, Jesus, he still chose her. It, it, it wasn't held against her. And in the same way, when Christ works in our life, and when we have the chance to start over again every time in the sacrament of reconciliation, when we go to confession and we begin again, our past isn't held against us. Absolutely. You know, I think the little phrase that I always use is leave the past to the mercy of God. You know, that's where our discouragement is. You know, and then when we think about the future, that's where fear and anxiety come, right? So leave the past to the mercy of God, leave the future to the providence of God, live in the grace of of the present moment. Find Christ right here with you today. Find the risen Lord Jesus speaking to your heart and calling you to a mission in the church to be his witness and leave the past to his mercy and the future to his providence. And then finally, we obviously have, you mentioned Mary Magdalene being that preacher to the preachers. Uh, they would go out on Pentecost Sunday and they would transform thousands of lives with their preaching. Uh, how can we look at that example of Mary Magdalene and that good news that she shares with the disciples? How can we let that be that inspiration for us? What should we be doing in our own lives to be that preacher, that pro- proclaimer of the good news? Well, it's, it's sort of like even in scriptures you find the Samaritan woman. Jesus has pointed out her sins to her, and she goes off and tells everybody in the village, this is the one, he's the one we've been waiting for, this is the promised guy, right? So you and I, uh, understanding the beauty of God's merciful love for us, uh, there are ways that we can be witnesses in every aspect of our lives. We don't have to get up in a pulpit. It doesn't have to be a Sunday morning with a, with a congregation in front of us. It's the, the simple things of daily life. It's teaching our children how to pray. It's, it's living out the love of neighbor. And it's what I've said is one of the easiest ways of evangelization. The past year and a half, everybody's complaining about all the challenges, what a tough time it's been. All you have to do is when people start talking about the pandemic and this and politics and blah, 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 you just say, yeah, I just don't know how... I could ever get through it without Jesus. And Our you spirit. just lay that out there, and it's an invitation for them to think about, huh, how am I getting through it without Jesus, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, you know, we can witness in any number of ways. That's a really uh, easy way. But to be that witness, to have that joy and gratitude, to know God's love, that's what Mary Magdalene shows us. Our spiritual director today has been Father Joseph Johnson. And Father, as we're in our last about 10, 15 seconds here, could I ask you to offer a final blessing for all of our listeners? May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you so much, Father Joseph. And thank you for listening to The Inner Life today. And I hope you join us back here tomorrow. Uh, We're going to be talking about miracles coming up this Sunday. Uh, The gospel reading we'll hear at Mass. It's going to be one of those mighty miracles. We'll talk about that more on The Inner Life here tomorrow with our spiritual director, Father Ed Broom. And of course, stay tuned. We've got Mass that's coming up next. And Father Mark Malezova, he is our celebrant. We'll see you tomorrow here on The Inner Life.